0: We're Missy Phoenix, a community of God's people learning to live in God's ways for the sake of our city. Let's go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 10. And where we're at this morning is continuing in the life and the teachings of Jesus. So for a few weeks, we were looking at the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus's teachings that are found in Matthew 5, through 7. And then we saw this miracle last week where Jesus provided food out of almost nothing to feed thousands of people. 5,000 men recorded, plus however many women and children were there. They didn't count those numbers back then, but that's like, so at the very least double that, right? But probably a lot more. It started with the meager little lunch of a young boy. So Jesus takes the little bit we have, he multiplies it, and he does miracles through it. Incredible. He also calls us, though, to be part of that work. And I think we're going to see that laid out clearly. How do we do that? In this story Jesus tells here in Luke 10. So what happens is this guy stands up. He's seeing Jesus do these miracles and have all these teachings in public in front of the crowds. And he stands up to challenge him. He's, a, he's an expert in the law, it says, which means the Old Testament. He's like a biblical scholar. He knows the word of God really, really well. And he thinks, I'm going to catch Jesus on something, right? I'm going to show that he's just some guy. Or that he's even like a charlatan, like he's a, he's a trickster. And I'm going to expose him for who he is in front of these crowds. So that's the context of where we jump in. In Luke 10, we're starting in verse 25. Then an expert in the law stood up to test him, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life?
1: What is written in the law?
0: Jesus asked him. How do you read it? I just love how Jesus will spin it back on the person. That's usually how he answers a question, like, not directly what they're looking for. He, like, spins the challenge back around on them. You're an expert in the law. What do you read? Verse 27, he answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus told him. Do this, and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus took up the question and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up, and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, on his journey, came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spent." Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The one who showed mercy on him, he said. Then Jesus told him, go, do the same. This is God's word. Father, we pray that you would help us to hear and receive your word, not only spoken to this man thousands of years ago, but spoken to us by your spirit and your word preserved for us today. God, help us to see how we are invited into the story. How we can be good neighbors to those around us. We ask So a couple years back, I had my own treacherous journey from the kitchen to the living room. We had this big ottoman that was super heavy because it had a hideaway bed inside of it. It had these oak wooden legs. And I was walking barefoot, and my foot just barely on the side, hit the leg, and my toe crumpled under it, my little pinky toe. And it like, it was bent upwards and over my other toes. Yeah, I could—I should have shown you a picture, but I'll just give you graphic detail instead, okay? It was nasty, and it was painful. And my wife said, you know what? Our neighbor who I just met, Leslie, I think she's a nurse, or she's going to school to be a nurse. I'm going to go get her, and she can help out. And I was like, okay. Now, those of you who know me really well know that I do not like feet. And I really do not like my feet. And I really do not like people looking at or touching my feet. But I was in pain. So I was like, all right, go ahead and get her. So she came over. And she said, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to count to three. I'm going to pull your toe out. I'm going to turn it back into its right place set it, and then we're going to tape it together. I said, okay, let's go. So you're a nurse? She goes, huh? I was like, wait, aren't you a, you're a nurse? or you like, you're, you're a in nursing school? And she's like, no. I was like, so you work in the medical profession at all? No. I'm just really interested by this stuff. Okay, one, two, pop. I was like, Bethany, Do your research. (laughs) But it worked. My toe functions perfectly. I don't know how she did it. It worked. That was a picture of a good neighbor, right? To come over to these new neighbors' house, a guy she doesn't know, (laughs) and to bring some healing and restoration to some dude's sweaty feet, right? It's a good neighbor. Mr. Rogers would have been proud. If you grew up in the 80s like me, you know... Fred Rogers, you know who that is, right? Or even for you Gen Zers, because there's a resurgence of all things 80s, and so you might have seen the spin-off series of Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood, right? Or you saw the documentary film, or maybe you saw the movie of Fred Rogers' life as portrayed by the great Tom Hanks. Yeah. Tom Hanks, or not Tom Hanks, Fred Rogers. Fred Rogers really had a value for neighbors. He wanted everyone to be his neighbor. Right now, the song's going through all your heads, right? Be my neighbor. I'm not gonna say you. you have it. He wanted everyone to be his neighbor, and we have this stark contrast here in this story of this expert in the law who wants to draw the line and say, "Okay, but not these people," right? Like this is a guy who knew his Bible really well. Who followed it really well. And when Jesus says, what do you see in the scripture? How do you find eternal life? Remember, that's the goal here. The context for this whole conversation is how do you have eternal life with God in the presence of his holiness and perfection without brokenness or death? And he goes, how do you see you get that? And the man says, easy. (laughs) And he quotes two scriptures. Deuteronomy 6, 5. And this is where the Shema came from. This is a prayer that the Israelites would say daily to remind themselves of who they were and how they were called to live by God. Verse 4 in Deuteronomy 6 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. A reminder, like, who you are under this God. And then verse 5 shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all of your being, all of your might. And then he takes another scripture, in Leviticus 19, verse 8, and he couples it with it that says, love your neighbor as yourself. And this dude is spot on. He really is an expert in the law because Jesus does the exact same thing. It's recorded in Matthew and in Mark. Jesus is asked one time by another person Hey, what's the greatest commandment? There's these commandments to follow God. How, how do we know we're God's people? What's the greatest? What's the most important of them? And Jesus couples two together. He says, The greatest is this that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the second one goes with it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So this guy answers correctly, and Jesus is pleased with the answer even. He says, go and do that. That's it. But the guy's like, hold on, wait a second though. Let's define neighbor real quick. Are those the people who uh, live the way that I live? Are those the people in my household or directly right next door? Are those the people who are proper Jews like I am? who do all the right things and follow all the ways of God? Because surely, Jesus, you're not talking about those tax collectors. You know, the ones who actually started teaming up with Rome in order to take our money and oppress us, the traitors? Oh, wait a second. One of them standing with me right now. Right? Like, this guy should have had a clue when he saw a zealot, someone who was ready to go fight against Rome by force take back the kingdom of Israel. And a traitor who was part of rome that Jesus called them to be not only neighbors, but brothers as they were disciples following. He should have had a clue. But trying to justify himself, who exactly is my neighbor? Who do, who do I got to do this with? I got you on to love of the Lord, my God, with all my heart, soul, and mind. But, but when it comes to people, Right? So Jesus tells a story. And this is like what I call a Jesus juke. I love this. He gets asked a question. And instead of responding directly, Jesus goes, let me tell you a story. And then I'm going to ask you a question. And he makes the dude answer his own question by the end of it. It's brilliant. so masterful. So he tells this story about a guy traveling down this road. And he gets beat up and attacked by robbers, stripped naked, left, half dead. A priest walks by and he sees him and skips to the other side of the road, keeps going. A Levite, the Levites were the, that was the family of the priesthood. So these were like the religious people to follow in Israel. Skips over, passes by on the other side. Now listen, that sounds terrible, right? It sounds like there's no empathy, no compassion. But here's some context, too. The priests would have known more than anybody else that this man had blood coming out of him and was naked, and both of those things were unclean. According to the law, who the guy talking to Jesus is an expert in, if you touch those things, you become ceremoniously unclean, and you got to jump through a bunch of hoops in order to get back into the temple, and these were priests. So they had a pretty good reason to stay away from that, right? I think we live in a season right now in a day and age where we feel like we have a pretty good reason to stay away from our neighbors, don't we? At least we can give ourselves that excuse if we really want. I was talking to my stepsister one time and she had this uh, piece of furniture on her truck that she wanted to move into her house and she called and asked if I can come over and help her move it and I said no because I'm a terrible brother but also because it's a 40-minute drive. And I said, hey, I'm really busy right now. I'm working a couple jobs at the time I was. And I was like, can you like ask one of your neighbors to come help? She said, I don't talk to my neighbors. I was like, well, maybe this is a good time to start. It. Right? That was pre-pandemic. Now we're in a season where we can convince ourselves we have a legitimate reason to not touch or go near our unclean neighbors, right? And Jesus tells this radical story of a guy at cost to himself, at expense to his own safety and cleanliness and status in society. He moves toward the man, And this wasn't a neighbor in the context that we have. This was a Samaritan. You know, the, the difference between a Samaritan and a Jew. The Samaritan was a mudblood. Like Harry Potter fans know what I'm talking about right now, right? Samaritan was a half-breed. So they were Jews who then, the northern tribes that they were at war with, moved in as they laid siege to their land, and they started to marry together and have children together. And so the Jewish people in this land of Samaria started actually converting over to the ways of this other kingdom. And they mixed and mingled. And so they have this history of the Jewish tradition, and they also have this other thing brought in now. And so the pure Jews, the clean Jews, would look down on them. They hated them. Anytime they were traveling, they would intentionally go miles and miles out of their way to not go through Samaria. So Jesus is telling this radical, outrageous story. And I'm like, man, how does Jesus come up with this stuff, right? How does Jesus think of this? Well, that dude asking the question wasn't the only expert in the law. Go to 2 Chronicles with me. We're going to look at chapter 28. This, in your Old Testament Bible, it's like somewhere in the middle, maybe, but In their law, in their book, at the time, this would have been the last book they would have read, the last thing chronicling their history to remind them of who they were. And this would have been the last time they would have read something about Samaria or the Samaritans. And what's going on is at this time, the kingdom of Israel is divided, it's split. There's the northern kingdom of Israel and there's the southern kingdom of Jerusalem they're at war with each other. And the southern kingdom, their king, Ahaz, is acting a fool. And so God comes to him and he says, I'm going to bring discipline to your people. I'm going to let these northern tribes come in, and they're going to take over. And so they do. They go in, and they capture some of them, and they start bringing them up to Samaria from Jerusalem. They're on this journey. And then God sends a messenger, a prophet named Oded. He says, hey, hey, go tell them to slow the roll now because they've had their way, they had their fun, discipline happened, but they're getting too violent. This is too, too much. So Oded goes and he says, hey, God used you for discipline for a time, but now it's, now it's time to stop. It's time to let up. And in verse 10, he says this. He says, Plan, now, you plan to reduce the people of Judah and Jerusalem, male and female, to slavery. Are you not also guilty before the Lord your God? And the people listen. The people of Samaria, they hear God's word and they have compassion. And in verse 15, this is what happens. Then the men who were designated by name took charge of the captives and provided clothes for their naked ones from the plunder. They clothed them, gave them sandals. Food and drink. Dressed their wounds, in many translations there say, with oil. Is any of this starting to sound familiar? Provided donkeys for all the ones who couldn't walk. The Israelites brought them to Jericho, the city of Palms. Among their brothers, they returned to Samaria. The original good Samaritans. You have a story here of someone who's from Jerusalem. Beaten, stripped of their clothes, wounded, left for dead, and Samaritans who step in, they dress them, they tend to their wounds, put oil on them, they feed them, clothe them, and put them on a donkey and bring them to Jericho, the same city the guy in Jesus' story is traveling. This is not a coincidence, you guys. Like Jesus knew this story well. And so did the guy asking the question. This is not just a made-up story Jesus tells. He's rooting them in their history. And he's reminding them, the person that you hate the most, you want to know who your neighbor is? The person you despise the greatest was once your brother. You were both God's. And because of your sin, because of your own brokenness, severed that relationship and you became enemies. Let me remind you, even when you were enemies, because of God, because of his word, because of his love, he turned their hearts to have compassion on you. Now I'm saying you go and do the same. Have compassion on them We were looking at the Sermon on the Mount for a few weeks, like I said. Let's look at something else Jesus says during that time in Matthew 5. Matthew 5, verses 43 through 45. Jesus says this, You have heard that it was said to love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, did Scripture ever say this? Did God ever say this? No. He's saying, you've heard it been said this. This has become your ways. This has become your custom. Even by your religious teachers now, this is what you're hearing. He says, but I say, verse 44, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. And in that Greek language right there, that is a collective you. Don't love your enemy so that you yourself individually can be right before God. That's the man's question. How do I have eternal life, right? Jesus is saying here, Love your enemies so that you can welcome them into the family of God. So that you together can be children, brothers and sisters. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. What he's reminding us here is God has created all people in his image. And he cares for every single one. Even your enemies. Because here's the reality. You and I were once enemies of God. The story of the Jews and the Samaritans they were family, torn apart by sin, made enemies, and because of Jesus, because of his love, because of his grace and his mercy, brought back together as neighbors and then made family. That is the motion, the movement of the gospel. That we. We're made to be children of God, image bearers of God, brothers and sisters with one another, but sin, our own rebellion and selfishness and wickedness has torn us apart. Yet Jesus moves into the danger. If I were to ask you right now, like, who do you think you are in Jesus' story? Maybe some of you might be like, well, I'm the dude who was beaten up, right? Maybe some of you are like, I'm definitely like the priest or the Levite who would move away. If I were to ask you, like, who do you think you should be? I bet 100% of us would say we need to be like the Good Samaritan, right? And that's true. And Jesus says at the end of it, go and do the same. But who's really the Good Samaritan? Jesus is the one who at all costs and all expense to himself moves in. He actually becomes like the one who was beaten and wounded and left for dead. If you remember, he was once placed on a donkey, trying to find an end where he could find rest and refuge. But he becomes the good comes and dresses our wounds, Clothes our names in shame. Intense to us. And needs us. And says, whatever it costs, I will pay it. So who are we in this story? There's a movement, right? At one time, we were the wounded. At one time, we've been the one who moves away from the wounded, but Jesus is inviting us to be like the Good Samaritan, but ultimately our role is to play the innkeeper. Jesus is the one who does it all at his expense and says, "I will pay you back whatever it costs." You. Go and care for these people. I'm coming back, and whatever it costs, I promise you, you will be replenished, plus more. We don't do this out of our own expense. We don't care for others and love others at our own cost, because it's Jesus who's filling us, and it's Jesus who repays us. He's the one who took the expense on himself. Jesus says, love your enemy, so that they'll become your neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. And in our context, in our individual world, we hear that and we go, okay, love my neighbor as I would love myself. And sometimes we don't really love ourselves that much, right? So I got to do some self-care work and self-love and like, enjoy a nice glass of wine and a bubble bath so I can like get there before I can love other people, right? Don't take bubblegum. Don't even like wine. I don't know why I said that.
1: But we have this, like, this world
0: picture is giving us of like, just you gotta love yourself. Jesus is speaking to a very collective and communal culture when he says this. I think when he's saying "love your neighbor as yourself," he's saying welcome them in, welcome them in as one of your own. Make your neighbor. Love your enemy until they become your neighbor. Love your neighbor until they become your family. And then you collectively the will be children of God. That's what we're called to. Do. We can't do that in our own strength. Thank God we have the real, true, better, good Samaritan who pays the cost for us, right? So we just get to be the innkeeper. May we play that role well. Like God's grace. Pray with me.